Welcome to Ask the Growbot, where the concept is simple. Get experienced cannabis professionals in the same space with AI-powered ChatGPT, who we call the Growbot, and ask some questions, get some answers, and chop it up. Thanks for joining us for episode two of Ask the Growbot. Uh, we're joined here today by Justin Hawley and David Goodnack from GrowLink. Some people that I'm really excited to sort of shoot the S with and ask the Growbot what it has to say. Obviously, as usual, I'm here as the Director of Cultivation and Content for Growbot, joined by Will Gonzalez, who's the Director of Marketing and Creative Tech. Um, so the convergence of all these ideas getting together to try and bridge the gaps between engineers, cultivators, entrepreneurs and people building cannabis facilities that are trying to be successful for the long term. I think in this episode, we're really trying to dive into something that David and I have talked about at quite length uh, on various projects we've worked on and just as a whole when we bump into each other in the industry, which is controls, system integration and what's possible with that. I think one of the things we're really starting to learn as we build and diagnose more and more successful facilities it is, isn't necessarily about more, more, more. It's about understanding the connective tissue between all the things we invest in. Fans, HVAC, fertigation, lighting, racking, making all these things work harmoniously is the true power of facility design and ultimately how we get to operational efficiency. Real quick though, I wanna throw it to David to do a quick little hero intro about yourself and then Justin, if you could follow up as well so we get to know you guys. <laughs> Well, I invited Justin because he's kind of the, the man we keep behind the curtains at GrowLink. Uh, we don't let him talk to many uh, customers, but he's the guy who does all the work in the background. I think it might be ChatGPT4 now that he uh, is doing his job, but uh, we'll, we'll leave that. Um, no, I, I'm a mechanical engineer, same with, same with Justin. Uh, got into automation in HVAC industry. Uh, so integration with lights and HVAC is kind of something I've done for 15 years. Uh, met Justin actually, I don't know, uh, 10 years ago now, uh, working in the oil and gas industry, both doing automation. Uh, Justin got me into skydiving and now progressed on to, to base jumping. So uh, <laughs> I know we may- So this might be the last time anyone gets to hear you talk is what you're telling us. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Justin was on the sales team at GrowLink and now uh, I'm solely in an engineering role and I just kept going into the sales route. So uh, yeah, that's my little pitch. Yeah. Uh, thanks, David. Yeah. Um, David kind of gave a good overview of me. I, I'm also a mechanical engineer. I'm a licensed professional engineer in, uh, in a couple states. I've uh, been working at GrowLink for a couple of years now. Um, it's an exciting time to be in the industry. We're really passionate about helping people improve their qualities and yields at GrowLink. And, uh, and, and we're really able to do that through the use of automation um, with my background in automation and also with David and his background in automation, we've seen tremendous improvements for our customers and their facilities. Um, we've noticed a trend of, you know, if you can yield more at higher quality, um, then you don't necessarily have to have tremendously high plant counts and you can, you know, keep your operating expenses down while still producing at a higher level and remaining extremely profitable. Um, and that's true in any market, whether it's a down market or uh, or a boom market. And so, you know, GrowLink's really passionate about uh, helping people improve those two metrics um, and improve their energy and resource consumption. And, and David and I play uh, pivotal roles in that. Um, and we're particularly excited to talk to you guys about 
um, you know, AI and how the future of uh, cultivation might look and, and with some of these tools. So really yeah. appreciate the difference between uh, buzzwords of AI and machine yeah. learning and what actually happens and yeah. can be useful in the industry. So we all know the buzzwords. We do, man. Crop steering, airflow crop steering, <laughs> people don't necessarily fully understand. It's really funny, before we jump in and ask the, the GrowBots some questions, I do want to say, you know, historically in this industry, I've challenged engineers and I've maybe been a challenging character saying, I hate engineers. And I say that because the industry is still young, right? And we had people come from engineering backgrounds that would say, I'm going to dictate the right way to do this. And as a cultivator, I've said for 15 years, this is how I've done it. Now, granted, I don't know psychrometrics. I don't know thermodynamics. I don't know computational fluid modeling, but I know what I need. And this guy says, I know all the things you just mentioned, but I have no idea how to run a cannabis business. And I think it's people like GrowLink that have exposed the granular data that have educated both sides. It's allowed engineers to better and more sophisticatedly communicate with cultivators and get them what they need, rather than just build a facility in two silos and then have finger pointing at the end when stuff doesn't work. So historically, I've always appreciated the trends and the data that GrowLink's been able to provide, wrote the book on crop steering, and I think really elevate this industry from a communication perspective. So we're all on the same page. So thank you yeah. for that. As a grower, I do have a question from an engineer. I had a customer come to me and say, you know, the plants really enjoy like smooth jazz during, you know, veg and the first week or two of flower. And then they really just do heavy metal the last couple of weeks to bring out the anger and the terpenes. Like as a grower, how do you feel about that? Is, is that something we should be incorporating in our design? Listen, if it makes me more money, then it makes perfect sense to me, David. So I actually think it's more of a, uh, you know, musical itinerary where we start with classical as we transition from veg to flower, and then we go with the smooth jazz. Then we got to get some calypso in there. We really got to yeah, and we get to the heavy metal, and maybe fin we finish with some hardcore rap because the reality is like that's oh, yeah. a big part of the customer base, right? So I'm with you, but I'm I'm not gonna totally be on board on amplifying that through all my rooms until we try it, we test it, we collect that granular um, resolution of data, and really show that it makes more money. In that case, I'll do it. But you know what I'm saying? I think that's exactly what we're here to talk about. Um, I think the first question I want to throw at the Growbot will is something along the lines of you know what is systems integration for cannabis CEA. I think, again, we talk about buzzwords, systems integration is one of them to cultivators, right? Historically, I've had a bunch of different things doing a bunch of different stuff and it was never on the same page. Now we get to these commercial facilities, we're looking for scalability. Let's give people a basic understanding of what systems integration is. All right, so I asked it to be, uh, to act like an experienced cannabis cultivator specializing in crop steering and and environmental systems integration. So asking to define that for us. So let's take a look at what the GrowBot has to say about that. Okay, so far I'm buying in. Various components, technologies, methodologies, get them all on the same page, integrating various systems, lighting, irrigation, climate control, fertigation, automation. We might not have to talk on this one, man. <laughs> I, might, I might be out of a job here. Yeah, nailing it so far. I'm just gonna copy and paste this, put it in our uh, next marketing post. 
Dude, the more good information we can get to people. And my thing is too, is like, we're talking organically about this, the Growbot searching the nether regions of the internet, finding a bunch of stuff, work that we've done historically. I've been cited on this too, which is fun. But I want to make sure people understand not just, you know, the concept, but the whys and hows, right? When we're talking about optimizing plant growth, I remember recently I was on a call with you, David, where we were basically talking to the customer on whether or not they wanted to do crop steering. And the idea behind crop steering being we have to integrate multiple different technologies and data for you to effectively understand what your decision and action plan over here did to impact yield or financial performance over here. And, you know, I think that's an important note that you can crop steer by just banging on plants and seeing what they do to repeat make crop steering we, we discussed you know the buzzwords in the market crop steering is, is a is a big one right now and it seems like every company uh is trying to put their foot in the door and say well we also crop steer from lighting companies to irrigation only companies and everyone's saying oh we crop steer with our products because uh, it's, it's it's the buzzword right now and i mean crop steering is simple right it's as a cultivator, you know this, all we're doing is trying to manipulate the plant to do different things at different times to get the key results. And we could do that through irrigation only, but it all comes together when we mimic the environment, right? So when we want to stress the plant into like a generative phase, if I give it some drought stress, right? That's the soil moisture sensors, that's the irrigation cycles and the timing and the drybacks, but also what if I increase the light intensity? Um, what if I make big temperature humidity swings? Like all of it plays into how effectively I can manipulate that plant. So yes, everyone is correct, but no one right now is doing it fully, right? Yeah. Everyone kind of pioneered the, the crop steering from irrigation, but that's part of the equation. Um, we are now implementing uh, you know, AI machine learning from uh, another guy that we keep behind the scenes. Um, but it, it's really parts of that AI machine learning are just on parts of the algorithm, like field capacity, for instance. As roots grow into plants, that's the one challenge we have now is your field capacity in that plant is constantly changing. So we have machine learning just on that specific aspect of it to say, I want you to go through and recalculate your field capacity every day, knowing the plants are growing into it and make all the adjustments to the crop stream program. So it's not like we're punching this into an algorithm and saying, grow better cannabis doing this. It's like we're focusing machine learning on little aspects to make the whole thing better. But yeah. Yeah, I would say from a high level, my initial take on crop steering is it's controlled stress. And we want predicted outcomes, right? But what is it without control? It's just stress. We yeah. grow stress, we're stressed, there's fires to put out. We don't know why everything happened, right? So really trying to understand when we would want more light intensity relative to a change in our dryback formula with a change in fertigation. And how do we plan for that with SOPs from cultural control and plant manipulation and controlling morphology to get the most out of each one of these things? I mean, resource efficiency, number two, that's a big one, right? In the end, I've said this before, I think you've heard it, I hope it's not a broken record, but quality, quantity, and consistency. You have to have those in the cannabis industry. 
What sets you apart is operational efficiency, your ability to produce a pound for less than the guy next to you. And that might not happen on your first run. But if you're collecting all the data and you know what KPIs and metrics are important to your business, extraction or high-grade flour or pre-roll, whatever it might be, then we can continue to influence the operational efficiency by making decisions that give us higher quality, higher quantity, and more consistency, which get us more brand awareness and a higher price per pound and more grams per canopy square foot, all of which lead to that efficiency metric, which can be a real challenge to collect, let's be honest. You're, you're resonating with Justin. Yeah, I see yeah. getting excited. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, when we talk about the word efficiency, you know, mathematically, you're, you're defining that as, you know, what are you getting as an output for what you put as an input? And, you know, that that's where we play a pivotal role is we're really trying to optimize both the numerator and the denominator of that equation, right? We're trying to improve your yields and quality while reducing that resources so that that efficiency and ultimately your profit you know, per resource used is uh, is optimized, and and really that that's that's we're seeing that in a lot of states where you know early on price of cannabis, you know you could throw money at a project, and we had people being successful that weren't even trying to optimize their facilities, and now as that market has shifted, we're starting to see that you know what operational efficiency is what is becoming the key. And now is the time to invest in automation and things that will improve that operational efficiency, because uh, that's how you're going to weather that storm and ultimately be the person that survives the market um, that you're in. Yeah, I'm going to celebrate the day that we stop, you know, bragging on Instagram about how many pounds per light and all of this. We start bragging about yeah. our cost per pound and how right. efficient we are. And, you know, th that's it's a business it, it is um so it, and that's where i think we're going to develop as things get tight and tough i think as much as you hate it the engineers are going to come in and they're going to put processes in and and you know but and you know, to be honest, right? place. you know we're not there right now and that's sort of the fun part right there is no guidebook on hey this is how you grow gmo the most profitable way or this is how you grow a particular cultivar the best way and David, like you mentioned, you know, when do you bring on more light intensity? I think as we continue to experiment, and I hate to use that word because it's a business and I'm not mm -hmm. running a science experiment, I'm gonna grow weed for money and employ people, is when we increase that light intensity, we also increase the photonic energy to the plant and the transpiration rate. And all of a sudden we realize that maybe we're using this awesome light, a photon, A3I, for example, and we're bringing 1400 PPFD and our transpiration rate goes from 0.25 gallons per canopy square foot to 0.33. And you ask for more dehumidification as the controls guy. We set that, but we don't have enough. Well, now we've learned that in the future phases, we need an additional 10 to 20 tons or an additional 20 pound per hour moisture removal metric that we need to add to this, or we need to change our lights or we need to dim our lights to effectively manage the business and organization rather than just thinking, hey, Bruce Bugby was right, throw more light at this, I'll get more yield. Well, what about all the other factors at play? And to me, that's why I love these chats about systems integration because it's all connected, man. And it's, it's all really about laws and minimums, right? Uh, so the limiting factor is what's going to stop the plant's growth. So I see in the very near future, your automation system is going to calibrate with that and say, okay, right now your limiting factors are this and this. 
and it may give you little keys and say, hey, just so you know, if you increase your light intensity or upgrade your lights, you know, you might be able to do this because this right now seems to be your limiting factor in this equation. Just, you know, people can cover that conclusion or maybe we have automation do it for you. You know, you know, another thing that I find that, you know, when we get into these conversations, you know, I, there, there's certainly the, the efficiency and profit part of it. But I often hear from cultivators as an engineer, you know, I, I hear things like, you know, we're not trying, we're trying to produce the best, you know, almost like it's the craft cannabis world. Like, you know, in beer, you'd have, you know, your, your imbevs and your Amheiser bushes and, you know, they're kind of just producing this lower tier at massive amounts. And then you have these craft brewers you know, we're seeing the same thing kind of evolve in cannabis, where we have these growers that say, look, I'm focused on quality more so than quantity. And you know what, you, you're not sacrificing that quality by going with some sort of automated system. In fact, you're more likely to improve it. I mean, now you can dial in your environment, dial in your irrigation, and really maximize the things you're you're looking for in quality as well. So I don't think it has to be one or the other. I think it can be both, and uh, and that's an important thing to 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 kind of mention. And just for the record, I've never been on a call where someone has not said, you know what, I'm growing the good stuff. I'm not I'm not growing the crap like everyone else. We're, we're doing it. We're growing fire here. Like every single person. So it can't be true across the board because everyone said, we're not like the other guys. We're going to grow top notch stuff here. So I feel like it's another buzzword, right? Like yeah. saying that you're growing the best is this defendable position to the sales team of like, take me seriously. I'm growing gas. And it's like, well, there's lots of business models that work, but there's something I wanted to unpack here too, right? Like I genuinely think phenotypic expression is a byproduct of manipulating all these inputs and optimizing them, right? It isn't necessarily that, you know, we want to compromise quality. That's sure as heck not what I want to do, whether it's for my mom who had cancer or myself who smokes recreationally. Um, I think about this when we talk about CO2 assimilation and bottom-up airflow, right? We want to get this bottom-up airflow with enough velocities, 0.4 to 0.7 meters per second to break the boundary layer. And what do we get? We more, get more CO2 assimilation, we get better gas exchange, and we get more biomass. And as soon as I say the word biomass, everyone goes, whoa, I don't want more biomass, I want more gas. And I want to tell them, oh, the biomass that we're going to get is also going to be of higher quality. It's going to produce more secondary metabolites. Assuming we're keeping up with our photonic energy and our fertigation regimen, everything is going to go up. We don't know what the max of this plant is. Heck, man, in 2015, when I won my first cannabis cup, my weed tested at 28% THC, and I was so proud. 28% THC and 2% terps, I was like, ah, I'm the, one of the best cultivators in the world. Now people are throwing around 40% THC, 5 plus percent terps. It's incredible. Still at a 12% moisture content, so they're real numbers, but I'm blown away. And it's, it's a byproduct of this, right? Automating the right things, controlling the right things, and understanding the inputs. Yeah, we, we have new applications called like blueprints that come out, right? That essentially, if you have an R&D facility, you can design it. This is the perfect way to grow the strain and then you can replicate it in every other room. And I describe it to people as try baking a cake and making it better the next time, but you don't have the recipe or you're going by memory. You'll never start improving unless you can have all things consistent and then just tweak one thing or another thing. If you just start, maybe I do more light and less water and this, 
it's by pure acts of randomness that you'll get success. And you have to tie it to productivity, just like Justin mentioned, right? If we're not tying it to the cost of production and the price per pound and the margins and the EBITDA, well, then screw you, David. I don't want more CO2 assimilation because of the costs or more light intensity because of the cost. If I get one more gram per square foot, but it costs me $100 more per pound, maybe it equates, maybe it doesn't. I'm going to have to do the math. It's not necessarily give me more. It's like you said, baking a better cake, not necessarily a bigger cake. Maybe it's a, just a little pinch of salt that you didn't have the first time to balance out all the sweetness. Mm -hmm. What did yeah. you just ask there, Will? Yeah, I asked a follow-up question. How is phenotypic expression affected by crop steering? I mean, it's pretty obvious answers here, but if you guys wanted to add anything to that as well. This is funny because it does identify temperature, light, humidity, nutrient, irrigation. Irrigation is only one of them, but in the industry, when you say crop steering, they think soil moisture sensors, yeah. first thing they think of. Um, and it's, I can keep irrigation consistent and just crop steer with the other uh, parameters, and I think would do the same thing. This episode of Ask the Growbot is brought to you by AirGlide. For use with any racking provider, AirGlide provides consistent airflow velocities for your entire row, homogenizes leaf temperatures, mitigates microclimates, increases CO2 assimilation, and facilitates whole room air exchanges. Reach out to GrowGlide today and blow the competition away. And my HVAC background leads me immediately to leaf temp, right? Like, okay, great. We got to control leaf temp so we can play the VPD game and really understand a VPD match from veg to flower so we don't have stress and we go through a healthy transition. And then each and every moment, lights on or lights off, when we're in that flowering stage, we have optimal leaf temp, and that's going to be dictated by the ambient condition and the airflow. And this is something that I wanted to unpack with you a little bit more. You're familiar with our AirGlide solution at GrowGlide. And I think one way that we've helped our cultivation partners utilize that tool better is, hey, we have this airflow manifold, we have this fan, we have this CFM, and we're delivering air at a certain velocity over the length of space, right? We have four you know, poly ducts that come out of that or fabric ducts that come out of that, and we can tap two of them. And that'll dramatically increase the velocity coming out of the other two. Something I think about asking you, and I know you know where this is headed, is, is it, this is something that a lot of cultivators don't even explore. We're going three tier or two tier. Should we have higher velocities on the top to avoid the issue with heat rising so we can get more convective cooling? Or should we have higher velocities on the fan on the bottom to draw more of that supply condition CO2 rich air to the lower section and let it flow through the plants? I don't think we have the answer, but I know you have the tools and the integration to empower cultivators to explore that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to touch on that because, you know, the, the thing is, is that when you think about, particularly when you're talking about, you know, how we're controlling climates for different phenotypes, right? Each strain is going to have their ideal climate, right? Um, so one of the benefits of GrowLink is we can provide some of our environmental sensors on a per tier basis uh, in a grow room. And you can literally, as a grower, go in there and adjust the, you know, the different systems, whether it's the fans, the HVAC, to ensure that you're getting perfect stratification at each level for that strain. And that ties into the blueprint that David was talking about. So 
here's an example where having the automation in place and having that data and the sensors in the cultivator's hands allows them to dial that in for that uh, for that strain, ideally. I got a follow-up question for the grow bot right here. Let me We're going to dive into this, right? As a guy who's bought a lot of sensors over my life, ignorantly, before I got to know David and got the heads up on range versus resolution. I think that's the question I want at uh, is, you know, what's the of range versus resolution in cannabis CEA? Because I know there's different accuracy levels of sensors and then there's sensors we can put all over the place. Is it better to get really accurate granular data at certain pinch points or choke points? Or is it better to just have a bunch of questionable, you know, bigger uh, deviation uh, sensors throughout the room that we can average together to create our action plans. Love to hear your guys' take on that. The way yeah. we do sensor layout, I mean, obviously when you're talking range resolution, the first thing is sensor selection. Having a sensor that is engineered and sized for that application is important, right? Uh, we know companies that have sensors that aren't meant to be wet, things like that. It's a grow environment. It's going to get wet. That's a bad application for that sensor. What we do is anytime we do tiers, we automatically double the sensors. So if I have two tiers, I double the sensor count. Right now, we kind of a rule of thumb, roughly one sensor every 700 square feet. We make sure there's at least two sensors in that room so we have some redundancy. Obviously, it's a rule of thumb because if you've got a real, real long, skinny room, I'll probably put an additional sensor or two in there just to kind of cover that space and the coverage of that sensor. But rolling does two things. One, we map out and monitor with a heat map the different spaces, the different tiers, so that you can see, do I have enough airflow, right? What does the stratification of the air in that room look like? So one is you need to identify, you need to map it, display that information and an easy way to digest and for people to see and recognize. Um, but yeah, to do control, unfortunately, the way the HVAC is set up, I can't control, you know, 74 degrees here and the next tier down 175 degrees because of different strain. Temperature, humidity, I control it as one giant space. So what we do is we just average all the sensors we have together and say mechanical system, you know, here are your commands. It's just, you know, it's not operating like a data center where you have hot and cold aisles and, you know, you can operate each strain or each row separately. So we're kind of controlling that space as a one space. Right. And then it's the input of the cultivator, right? Getting appropriate SOPs to collect the manual, manual data that can influence those decisions as a whole of, okay, Here's the leaf temperatures I see in week one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. This is how I want to change my environmental itinerary to maintain the appropriate leaf temperatures or within the range of 78 to 82. And you can say, yeah, absolutely. We're going to do X, Y, and Z from a staging perspective or what it might be to effectively create that controlled stratification in the room as close as we can to adherence to set point. And then there's an operational expense associated with that. I think what you know what what David's mentioning often goes unnoticed uh, from a cultivator perspective. But as engineers, we we kind of tend to think about this thing. Let's say we had two different strains that had wildly different 
ideal climates in one room, right? If I have one HVAC system in that entire controlled space that's dedicated to that strain and the other HVAC systems dedicated to the other ones, those systems are often gonna fight each other. One's gonna end up operating more and you're gonna end up having maintenance issues on some of those units, which ultimately when you look at the life uh, cycle cost, not just the individual strain over strain, harvest over harvest, operational expense, but your facility expense, um, you know, that, that tends to go through the roof when you start doing things like that. And, and that's where we really try to dial in the climate and try to combine the light strains and, and the like areas. And then, you know, we, we do things like optimization through, um, you know, through the adjustments of fans and, and uh, irrigation control and, and a variety of other methods. The last few I've years, you didn't but, have to worry about how much it costs, right? You're mm -hmm. selling for $2,000 a pound. You don't care. So, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna buy, you know, seven different five ton units and I'm gonna buy the, the cheap VRF systems and this one's gonna be in heating and these two are in cooling to match the dehumidification. It's like, you could not be spending any more money if you tried <laughs> in that room. And that's, I mean, you know, the HVACD systems, yeah, it's an upfront expense because you're buying more equipment, but your operational expense and your controllability long-term uh, so when people ask me, what do I do for HVAC and humidity? I kind of say, okay, phase one, that's that's rooftops or VRF system with thermostats on the wall. Stage two is you've got a control system like Growlink or whoever who is has canopy sensor sensors, not on the wall. I don't care about ceiling temperature. I care about what's in the, the plant. Uh, and we're kind of orchestrating separate dehumidifiers with these rooftop units. And then third stage is buy what you should have bought, which is an HVAC plus D unit, which you can man manipulate uh, fan speeds, compressor speeds, everything to be able to dehumidify and cool or dehumidify without cooling, right? And maintain that with the least amount of energy, least amount of inputs, which the guys that go with that, I mean, they're thanking themselves later. Uh, just by having very well controlled spaces, as well as the operational savings, which, you know, if you went with that first, when you had all the money, you're probably doing okay right now. You don't think that about the cost of downtime or comp compressor replacements or fan replacements until you have to do it. And like Justin was saying, with an integrated system, they're not battling each other. So you find an operational efficiency within the mechanical device itself where it can operate at a very high standard versus this push and pull where sooner or later someone breaks on their side of the rubber band and you just assume, yep, I'm going to throw in another pocket DU. And all of a sudden it starts to add up with downtime, lack of adherence to set point. Now we're talking powder and mildew and botrytis in week six. And you're wondering why it happened. And it's because you don't have redundancy, even though you think four systems have to be more redundant than one. Turns out that's not exactly the truth, right? Accurate controls and manipulation of that one system might get you better security uh, from, an, from a homogenization perspective. Yep, you nailed it. Staying on this, this lane of range versus resolution, I'm curious about you know volumetric water sensors and root zone sensors, because as a cultivator, right? I want to put one in every plant oh, yeah. and there's no way that I can afford that. Um, I want the data from the front to the back. I mean, we're not talking ebb and flow here. Let's talk precision drip where we're really trying to do 12 to 16 shots in a small size per day relative to the need. So we're not having evapotranspiration impacting our dehumidification and laden load. But I'm curious on your take on that. Like, 
how do we effectively advise people on how many of these sensors that they need? Because it does tell us so much about what's going on with the plant. And these sensors aren't cheap, right? I, I always say I would love to have one sensor every plant, but we're just, we're not there. Mm -hmm. um, and as technologies change, they, we finally, you know, we get a technology to come down and price stuff, we can implement it. There's a couple different technologies out there. They have pros and cons for each. Um, but right now I kind of recommend, you know, if the whole room was the same, every plant was at the same growth phase, drank the same amount of water, I could put one sensor in the very center of that room, control everything together. We know that's not how it works, right? Even if like I've got five rows, the outside rows dry back faster than the inside ones, right? They just get, they have a whole line of airflow on the sides and the aisleways. Um, and then when you bring in tiering, well, that's a completely different game, right? You know, I'm dealing with typically stratified hotter air at the top versus the bottom. So if we're doing true crop steering with GrowLink, we can control the valves. It, it's on its own program. So each valve will operate independently. We kind of say that, you know, in a row, 70% of the plants are the same. That's kind of the average. You've got 15% of the plants that are bigger than the rest, right? They drink more, they're a little drier. You've got 15% of the plants that are a little bit smaller, a little bit wetter. We are steering towards that 70%. Uh, yeah, you could take one sensor and plug it in. We recommend two sensors per row or per irrigation valve. Now, yeah, does this add some cost? Yeah. Do we think you're gonna recoup it pretty quickly just in how well this application works? We do. Uh, when they say, I wanna go less, great. If you're just gonna monitor, you could do one per row. I call that kind of your insurance policy in case someone manually shuts off a, a ball valve, right? Growlink says the valve's open, that sensor's gonna tell me if I'm dry and it actually doesn't get to the plant. If you're not worried about that, you can do one sensor, five sensors, whatever you want to just get the data. But it's it's, it's really comes, comes down to like a, a statistical view of do I have enough data points to represent what's happening in there? It's not, I'm trying to sell you more sensors or not. It's, it, it comes down to the statistics and, and kind of how we pull that data in and adapt to it. Yeah, and, and one thing to add to that is, you know, taking the cultivator hat off for a moment and just focusing from an engineering standpoint, when we talk about reliability of your irrigation systems, having volumetric water content sensors of at least two per irrigation zone, uh, can sometimes lead to helping diagnose, well, why is this plant at the back of my irrigation zone, you know, not getting as much of a water content as the one in my front? Maybe that tells us that there's something wrong with your irrigation lines and long term that can help be a predictive maintenance indicator uh, and something that, you know, you wouldn't have otherwise if you didn't have those two sensors in that zone. I think you're speaking to a concept that David just alluded to when he used the word monitoring, which to me is like another buzzword. Uh, there's this monitoring, which, you know, no offense as a cultivator with 15 years hands-on in the grow room experience. I'm like, yeah, I'm monitoring my stuff, but what do I do with the information once I get it? And that's the monitoring plus controls that I would love to unpack a little bit. Some people don't even understand that there's a difference. They're like, yeah, I have sensors. And I'm like, that's great. But do you have everything on one platform or one dashboard or close mm -hmm. enough that when you get that granular data, you're not ciphering and stewing on it for a week before you implement an action plan. Instead, it's setting off a red flag 
and you're reacting immediately. And that's one of the reasons I always love working with GrowLink from an HVAC perspective. When I had some sort of issue, I could correct, take corrective action immediately versus going, hmm, that's an alarm. That's just monitoring to me. You know? It's funny because every grower on demos say, you know what, information is key and I want more data points, more data points, more data points. Unless you have a background of statistics and reading graphs and pulling from it and you're dedicating your time real time. OK, you've got a lot of data, but you can't do anything with it. Um, Rolink actually our crop steering 2.0. I probably shouldn't say this yet. Uh, it, it is coming out. Crop steering 2.0. That's where we're pushing some machine learning analytics. Uh, and it's going to have, uh, what do we call them, alerts or uh, notifications where it says, hey, we noticed that you're drying back a little too much or a little too, mu uh, a little too early. Do you want to implement this? And it makes a suggestion. You can accept or ignore. And we're going to list those out and we track them so that you can go back and look at the history of what we've recommended. Mm. But that is information that we automatically pull insights out and say, do you want us to do this? And it lets, it lets the grower say, yes, accept that or not. So that's actionable data that you can digest and process. And hate to tell you, but this is just getting you warmed up. The next step is when you trust us to just make those changes for you. Yeah, so, I mean, essentially, it's the GPT-4 uh, yeah. for cultivators. I mean, what, what we're doing here, we're, we're in, in inputting something into a large language model, and it's going out and searching for the correct words to respond to that. Essentially, that's what GrowLink is doing for crop steering and cultivation. We're saying, look, based off of our experience and based off what we've seen in optimization and yields and quality and resource efficiency, we would recommend this change. It's still ultimately up to you if you do that. And then you can go back and look at historically, wow, Growlings really helping me move the needle. They've actually made me more profitable uh, and helped my business. And, and that's our goal. Are we allowed to spill the beans about, uh, about what we just did? All right, we do anyways. Um, it's on you. <laughs> Growlink, it's unofficial right now. Growlink just bought a company. We bought uh, a company that is uh, doing all of our uh, harvest analytics, everything like that. Growlink's building it for a long time. We've looked at all these companies and everyone's kind of missing something when it comes to metric integrations and all of that. And finally, we found a company that had a really good fit and some really awesome engineers that we're going to bring over. Um, they're kind of already on our team behind the scenes. Um, and that's going to be a bolt on where we can say, put in your metric key, we pull that in. So now we say, what's your cost of goods, which Growlink already has access to compared to what is your harvest results? We now have that all in one place. And it's just, it's a really good fit for us. So uh, we've been working on that for a bit and we finally found a company that's a really good fit for us. So behind the scenes, we did buy that company and, uh, and yeah, we'll be able to put more of that analytics and stuff to use using that. So hopefully by the time this comes out, that deal is official, but if not, it's on me. <laughs> and I love you sharing that, man. I think it sort of leads me to another question that I want to maybe get Will to ask the Growbot here, which is, you know, this is great on sensor range and resolution. I think that's a great talk, yeah. talk. but I also think about what role does systems integrations in Availability of cannabis cultivators. I think about multi-state operators that are trying to figure out how to run multiple different 
facilities in multiple different states. And I think controls and integrations play a critical role in the scalability, just like you're talking about, right? There's collecting data, and then there's taking actions on data, and then knowing what actions are tied to financial performance and risk reduction. That's a full loop closure that it sounds to me like you guys are really understanding the concerns and pain points of large-scale cultivation. I'm just seeing here, it says one sensor every 100 to 200 square feet of canopy. Hey, we always say better, to, you know, more data is better when it comes to environmental sensors, but most environmental sensors, because it's very high quality temperature, humidity, and CO2 mm -hmm. is actually what adds most of the cost of those sensors. They're like 800 bucks a piece. So if you yeah. want to put them every 100 square feet, go for it. But if you have a 2,000 square foot room, in our, that's overkill. Yeah, so what I was trying to do is get kind of like a rule of thumb, mm -hmm. right? So like if you're a grower, it's like, well, how many of these do I need in my room, right? Based yeah. on every square footage, right? So, yeah. And it's always, it's always a balance between data and budget. What do I need and, you know, what's going to really move the needle? Adding an extra 10 sensors, is that going to make me produce better cannabis? Probably not, honestly, because in the end of the day, we're averaging it. So really all those data sensors are just for monitoring to show you I need to change the ductwork. I need to change the airflow. What's happening in the room? It's like continuous commissioning, essentially, for the room. Yeah, and and you know, Jesse, I want to get back to what you were talking about. Um, you know, that's one of the areas that GrowLink shines in. When we work with companies that are multi-state or multi-facility, um, you know, if they're using GrowLink in both of their facilities and they discover that, hey, what we're doing here for this strain is really doing great at this facility and we're not doing so well over here. We can literally take that blueprint for what's going on at that facility and transport it to that other facility. Um, so on an enterprise level for these companies, um, it's really giving you the ability to optimize across your entire organization. Um, and I think that's gonna play an important role over the coming years when, we might see some consolidation of facilities. I mean, it, we, we do live in a in a, uh, a country of opportunity where businesses do often exchange hands. And, you know, sometimes the smaller guys get gobbled up by other guys. And um, and when you have those meshing of organizations like that, it's a chance for that organization to discover what were they doing well that we need to pull into our current SOPs and what were we doing that they need to incorporate that, you know, is better. And one of the best ways to analyze that is having a system that can show you real data of this is proof of in the pudding of how it's done. Uh, and then that's really one of the, the benefits of GrowLink is we can help with that. I, I saw the question that just came up. Jesse, would you consider yourself a, uh, a master grower? Is that the, you, you go by a different term? It, it like feels like a black eye when I hear that, right? Because I'm like, oh man, master grower. It seems like a falsification of my resume. A director of cultivation is something that I would, seems more professional. On yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's throw an adjective in there. Like, you know, <laughs> you maestro. Master grower. You could just embrace <laughs> master. So I bring that up because these owners, the big struggle is, right? All these owners, they're building a facility. They got the license. They're hanging their hat on one person that's a master grower or director of cultivation, right? And they don't know if they can grow. They're trusting this guy. He could be growing in a garage. He could actually have the experience to grow in a 100,000 square foot facility. And 
they will design the facility to the sky spec specification. And typically these growers will be there for about a year, whether the owners kick them out, whether they move to another opportunity, something happens. Um, and one of the things that happens with MSOs or someone that has multiple facilities, you have multiple heads, master growers that are each trying to run their facility completely different. And that's not, it's a manufacturing environment. So if you give it the correct lighting, HVAC, everything, any grower should be able to plop into that space and grow great product. And then by blueprints, by automation, you could have one guy in an R&D environment doing real research saying, this is the you know, prime parameters for this uh, strain and go apply it through automation to all of his other facilities and rooms. So it gets rid of, you know, four different heads trying to operate and, and control the company. And you have maybe one guy that's a PhD that knows plant science from a, you know, university level kind of calling some of the shots and having people just kind of, you know, follow through with it at the facility level. This episode of Ask the Growbot is brought to you by PlantCO2.com. When it comes to CO2 enrichment in your cultivation facility, you might not be an expert in CO2 distribution, fire code, or CO2 safety requirements. And you don't have to be. Instead of paying for change orders in the field to make it work, visit PlantCO2.com for a complete CO2 solution for your facility. Email sales at PlantCO2.com or visit the website to save time, money, and headaches regarding your CO2 needs. Yeah, it might be a little controversial, but my feeling is that term master grower is going to die. It's what we did early on when we had an illegal resume that didn't translate. You would say, I'm a master grower. I got the secret sauce. Trust me. Now there's enough data out there where we can sit. It's like, it's not about being a master grower or knowing how to run a three or seven part nutrient regimen. It's being a systems manager. You manage the fertigation system. You manage the lighting system within the parameters of success. You manage the HVAC system. If it goes out of whack, you figure out how to fix it, bringing in the HVAC tech, replacing the compressor, getting the fans back up to speed, you know, calibrating the sensors. These are systems management tools that allow you to, A, find a defendable position in job security, and that you know how to run these systems and you can collect an objective data set and present it to the team of decision makers, the person that knows the market and knows the price per pound and is the hustler trying to sell the product and the CFO that's gonna allocate more money for more sensor density or better controls. And I think of the retrofit market and also distressed assets. One of the first things I would do if I had capital outside and I was coming to a facility is that I would do my basic overall assessment from experience, and then I would immediately implement controls and monitoring and see what I'm seeing from a granular perspective and what I can change from an operational procedure perspective to find the upper threshold of those mechanical equipment and solutions. And then I know where, where I need to invest the money to increase whichever KPI that I haven't been able to impact as of yet with controls and monitoring. You're nailing it. <laughs> On my first rodeo, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what jumped out to you here? I mean, we're here nerding out cannabis guys. I know. No, I mean, really I think that. I'm really intrigued by what you guys are doing with machine learning. And I know that's coming up soon, you know, with this exciting news you just shared. 
Um, I'm just curious, okay, that's, that's happening now. You're doing machine learning to understand what's going on with the plant and you're matching that up to things you've done in the past to mitigate whatever is happening, right? That's, so you have condition in a data set from a past that is telling you, giving you a recommendation moving forward, right? So at some point, the AI is gonna just determine what to do best on its own, right? Not based on inputs that you've given it, but it's just gonna extrapolate, okay, I know what to do. So that's like the near future now this year, right? So I'm just curious, what do you guys see like five, 10 years down the road in this space? I mean, it's just like, uh, so I, just I, press I see a button that. and it's like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. So yeah. machine learning, people have this myth that yeah. they're just like, feed it all the data and it's just gonna figure out. <clears throat> machine yeah. learning is it's not like that. It, it, yeah. it's a, so machine learning, you can look at one aspect and just say, okay, what is happening to just this one thing and feed it information and give it feedback. But you can't give it 10 parameters of inputs and say, what happens to the weed? If you watch it in machine learning of like, it's quite kind of cool. You watch like they, they have cars that go through a racetrack and they're all doing different models. To do, like they run hundreds and thousands mm -hmm. of iterations to get one car that can make the course. And yeah. that's just, do I go left or right? It's not what strain is it? What temperature, humidity, light, what nutrition? So I think in five years, 10 years, yeah, maybe we're there where you're like, hey, press a button and it just learns and grows. Machine learning right now is such a buzzword that people have been saying for so long, it's not there. It's yeah. a tool that we can use to refine different aspects into, but like to get it to be useful with that data, you have to put a lot of guardrails on it. You, right. you know, but maybe with ChatGPT, hmm. this could help us start doing iterations and, and reworking the models faster than, you know, I could go and program and put guardrails on. Justin's going to say something good. He's probably going to yeah, tell me no, 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 I, I, I think, I think David's intuition is correct. I mean, that there, um, you know, the, this is one aspect, GPT-4 particularly, it's one aspect of, uh, of, of a machine learning or an AI type of integration. Um, we're gonna see, I, I think it has piqued the interest of the world. It's brought significant investment dollars. There is a, uh, for, for, for lack of a better term, there's a war to be the best at AI right now between the top yeah. tech companies. And, um, you know, you don't have to look very far, or go deep into the research to realize that the progress that has been made just in the past couple of years between where OpenAI was to where it is today with GPT-4 is significant. Um, and now you have some of the top minds in the field, uh, broadly of computer science that are looking at this and saying, how can we make it better? And it is going to be exponentially better uh, in two to three to five years. Um, some of the things that we're talking about where, like David's saying, you know, maybe in the past, we might have done hundreds of iterations for it to do this one task. Um, there's a lot of possibilities that could expand that quickly to allow us to, to get to a place where, um, you know, it's not that far away for us to almost exclusively rely on these, um, these uh, types of tools to help us make decisions. I don't think you're gonna, nobody's trying to eliminate the grower. We're trying to empower the grower yeah. to understand how they can do better and be more effective. 
Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, a model is only as good as, you know, the, the way it's designed and there is no perfect model. And I don't think that there will likely be a perfect model. Um, so you're still going to need some human input, um, but our ability to produce better it's going to be significantly better in the next five to 10 years. Yeah. I trust Justin because he, he nerds out and he tells me every day, he's like, oh man, have you seen this new tool that's yeah. generated? So like I, when, I, when Justin said it, I trust it. It's yeah. so hard to keep up with. I mean, you just hear about something new every single day, like with the plugins, the, you know, the GPT bots or auto GPT, you know, just GPT agents. I mean, it's just amazing. Like how fast it's evolving. You know, Elon yeah. Musk is getting into it. They're developing their own AI arm now. It's 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 a, like an arms race in a way. Like people are just like jumping on and like getting a foothold, right? But um, it's it's really cool. It's fascinating, exciting of where this is going to take. You know, where this is going to take us in the next few years. And I, I agree. I don't think it's something that's going to ever replace, hopefully, us. But you know, you're always going to need some human intervention. And I think in such a nuanced space as cannabis cultivation, particularly, particularly, I think definitely that those master growers, as Jesse doesn't like to call, but I think those, you know, uh, directors of cultivation are, are, you know, you still need to vet all the information, right? You still need to vet the, all the information in the marketplace and, you know, and elsewhere, but um, it's really well, fascinating automation can easily tank your business, right? If you yeah. automate the wrong thing the wrong way, you'll get really bad results. But if you have someone analyzing the choices and the responses to the inputs and the granular data, then you can set yourself up for sort of a tarmac of success. Hey, let's stay within this range and we know how we're gonna influence our yield and outcomes and we can put a performance together and we can scale this and really think about where we're gonna go next. And um, I, I'm not afraid of automation because I feel like over my years progressing as a legacy cultivator to a commercial cultivator to a science-backed decision maker in this space, automation has just given me more free time to focus on the things that genuinely make the business more money. And they're also more fun and satisfying. So to me, it's an opportunity to continue to grow and evolve as a professional, as a professional cultivator. So we, we've talked about CO2 a couple of times now, and I can't help but yeah. plug my own company. Come um, on, do it. PlantCO2.com. It's a, it's a something that no one thinks about in the CO2 scope, which is where are you getting your life safety sensors from? Where are you getting oh, your... If you put in a solenoid valve and it's pressurized at 100 PSI, I had a customer the other day said, no, we got to figure it out. We just open that CO2 valve for two seconds and then shut it. And that, you know, we're, we're, we're perfect. You've got a way, have a way to uh, adjust the pressure down, control it, and then control that flow rate. So plantco2.com, get all that stuff. It's all packaged together um, for your CO2. That's not enough unpacking for me, David. We've had some really granular conversations about CO2 because it's still mystified, right? With yeah. what PPFD, with what temperature, what CO2 PPMs are am I trying to maintain? And when I was in the HVAC space, I focused a lot on full air exchanges in the space. And we would deliver CO2 in the ductwork, right? We would deliver it. Then we would see how much CO2 centralized relative to that solenoid opening and closing and dosing into the room. We could determine that it was consuming CO2 at a really low rate. Well, what would bring that on? Is it a temperature thing? Is it a fertigation thing? Is it a dryback or lack of dryback? And then you can adjust the other parameters and get that CO2 PPM consumption 
as it flows through the room to drive up tremendously and overall plant health, biomass, secondary metabolite, you know, test results would all go up. And it's something that was a little foreign to me before, because historically cultivators, like you said, let's rain some CO2 in the room, we'll get up to our set point, and then we'll turn it off and we'll wait for it to eat and we'll bring some more in. If you get that appropriate airflow and you're controlling it and you get the granular data from a company like Plant CO2 that can guide you to this decision making, you can genuinely look at CO2 as an indicator of plant health, which before we were just like, throw CO2 at it, we'll get more yield. It's much deeper. I actually haven't seen someone who monitored that consumption rate. And that's that's huge. If you had that as a, a leading indicator, that would tell you a ton. But typically, it's like law of minimums. Someone says, well, I'm not going to have CO2 be my minimum, so I'm just going to jack it up to 1,200 ppm. And it's enough. I don't know if we know, if, is there harm to having too much CO2 in those in the room, like to the plants, or the plants just only use so much? That's a great question. I think when the lights are on and we're going through that photosynthesis, the plant can take really high concentrations of CO2. Then it just becomes a health safety purge situation. Can we effectively get the CO2 out without messing up temperature and humidity in the space when we get above 5,000 ppm? Where I think about it, though, is in the lights off period. Now respiration is the most important plant process. And if we have 2,000 ppm of CO2 dropping below that plant canopy, it could effectively suffocate the root zone and we don't have a good air to water balance so the respiration won't occur. So when those lights come back on and that plant wants to yoke out, she's like, hold on, let me catch my breath first. And we have a little bit of a stall. So that's usually where I see it being a negative. Um, more, more research needs to be done, but I'm almost like, but if we could effectively run it a really high and then purge, right before we go into lights off period and get back to a zone that won't suffocate the root zone. That's beneficial. Some things like with outdoor strawberries, they're adding CO2 to outdoor crops, which seems insane, but they know exactly when in the day the, the strawberries need the CO2 and they're pumping it just underneath only and they're using minimal amounts of CO2, getting huge gains by saying, I don't need CO2 supplementation all day long. I just needed the key points. And I think we're going there with cannabis because cost of CO2 is going up. Supply is, is harder to get. So if I can tell you, I only need to apply CO2 to these plants three times a day at this time, this time, this time, and I can do it at a high concentration and purge. Okay. Now, now that's right. Cost of inputs going down. That's being smarter with what we're doing instead of just let her eat. Right. Mm-hmm. I asked ChatGPT the same question, the five to 10 year outlook, a couple of things. I mean, some of the answers that we had, some of the things we already discussed, autonomous cultivation systems. And this one was pretty interesting. Um, where is it? Personalized cultivation and product development. Yeah. So I think from, a med- huh? from a medical perspective, this is a hot topic right now. Do we create consumer packaged goods to eradicate cancer, fight glaucoma, specific to breast cancer, and what entourage effects and terpene profiles do we need to get and harvest? Right now in cultivation, it's a real challenge to get a particular cultivar to express something that cures for cancer. But we can take it through the extraction process and create consumer packaged goods that have the right ratios of particular terpenes to THC to secondary metabolites and different cannabinoids I think that is definitely a future of production. 
I also think it's going to be a future of recreational production is when, when people go in and say, how high do I really need the THC to get to get me there for a certain amount of time? Maybe it doesn't need to be 44% THC. Maybe it does. But if I get the right proportions of terpenes, not necessarily just 5% terps, but I want a bunch of linalool plus some mycerine, those two things in combination at this proportion really set me off. We'll never get there until we're getting the granular data on the inputs that influence that phenotypic expression that then lead us to breed cultivars that specifically show those traits as we put them through that consistent uh, itinerary of cultivation. 100%. And on a personal level, 44%, you know, uh, cannabis percentages, it's ruining cannabis for me, just like double IPAs ruined beer for me, right? Like, who can take that? Like, I, I'm actually looking for like the, the, the five to 10% that I can just kind of like act like a hero when I'm with my friends, right? <laughs> <laughs> Working man's chronic, I like to call it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I really wanted to thank David and Justin from GrowLink. Um, obviously, we're always honored to have people that really know their stuff in the industry and come on. Uh, in this case, we did a really fun deep dive into controls and AI and talking about sensor density and of course the buzzword of crop steering, but how you actually get there. The tools, the hardware, the software, what you do with that granular data, how you justify the expenditure, how you find job security as a master grower, and how you scale your cultivation business. These are all really important to us as a community, but they're also important to us as solutions providers. We wanna make sure that we look you in the eye and know that you're making more money tomorrow than you're making today, which allows you to make a difference in the community, scale your business, future-proof your business, and celebrate the next time we get together. So. David, Justin, thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys jumping in and just chatting it up and chopping it up. And obviously I really appreciate the knowledge that you've gathered over the years and your willingness to share with the community. Thanks. Hey, you're welcome guys. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it.